have chosen to worship the Lord with us here at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. And if you brought a guest today, we want to thank you for bringing someone special to church with you. We're going to be in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter number 15 this morning. Mark chapter number 15. I hope you've enjoyed the singing and uh, got to meet a lot of guests this morning on the way in. And uh, again, we're so glad that you are here today. The gospel of Mark. It is a resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In reality, we celebrate that every day as Christians. We, uh, we have salvation through Christ. He went to the cross. He died. He shed his blood. And he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And uh, I'm so glad that we take this time to celebrate that. And uh, I'm glad we're coming for a celebration today, not a funeral, aren't you? Uh, there's not a grave. There's not a grave that you could find that holds our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is risen. Amen. Mark chapter number 15. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 22, if you would follow along with me. Mark 15, verse number 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha. This is Jesus speaking. He's been through all of the beating and the scourging and the, and the uh, time before Pilate and He's come now to the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. If you'd notice in that verse number 24, the Bible says when they crucified him. In verse number 25, it says this, and it was the third hour they crucified him. I want you to think about this, this time. This was a cruel, cruel death. They've beaten Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he's not even identifiable as a man. They have plucked out his beard. They've punched him in his face. His face is swollen and bloodied. They've taken a crown of thorns and they've placed that crown of thorns on his head and shoved that down into his skull. Blood is coming from his skull and coming from his face. They took a cat of nine tails and they beat the back of Jesus and just whipped him till the skin on his back would, would come off, open wounds there on his back. They spit upon him. They mocked him. And they've taken Jesus, and the Bible says now they've crucified him. They've taken him, they've laid him on a cruel cross and taken his hands and his feet, and they've taken nails and driven those nails into his hands and driven nails into his feet. They place that cross there where he's now extended between heaven and earth and, and that cross is there into the ground and they're going by. The Bible says, he continues to tell us that they mock him as they come by. But as the third hour, they crucified him and they wrote this on his, his cross in verse number 26, the king of the Jews. Now they didn't realize that they were proclaiming the truth. They were doing this to mock him. They were doing this to, to just, just mock his existence and mock what he came here to do. The Bible says this in verse 27, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. The scripture was fulfilled, which saith he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by, they railed on him, or mocked him, made fun of him wagging their heads and saying, Ah, oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests mocking said amongst themselves with the scribes, He saved others, 
Himself he cannot save. They said this, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that he may see and believe. And they were, they were crucified with him, reviled him. Those two on each side of him mocked him and made fun of him. The Bible says in verse 33, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible goes on, if you'll just skip a few verses down to verse number 39 with me, the Bible says, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Father, would you help us today? Lord, we come to a passage of scripture that for those that believe in you, it's, it's one that we look at and Lord, we're hard as he- our hearts are heavy, but at the same time, we look at the same passage and we rejoice, knowing what you went through and knowing that you rose again. Lord, we have life. God, I pray that this morning as we study from your word that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you challenge us today. I pray you convict us today. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that has never trusted Jesus Christ is your Savior. I pray today they'd be saved. And Lord, we rejoice in how much you love us. And so I pray today that you've been pleased with every part of this service, from the singing to the giving and now to the preaching of your word. I pray that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you just a few thoughts here this morning, and we won't be long this morning. Coming to the 930 service is a good service to come to because we have to be done by 1050. Come to the 1050 service, we might get done by one or so, but uh, don't tell them that on their way in. But I want to get right to the point here today, and I want you to find in this passage of Scripture, we find a committed Savior. If you're taking notes this morning, if you want to take notes in the back of your bulletin, there's a place that you can take notes. We find in Mark chapter number 15, from verse number 26 down to verse number 32, we have a committed Savior. In fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, Christ was placed between two thieves. There's a place of shame, and people walked by, the Bible says, and, and they railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, oh, thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. I want you to see here we have a committed Savior. I don't know about you, but if you were in this place, I know for me, if I was in a place where I was being made fun of and mocked and and I knew I did nothing to deserve what had gotten me to this place, I, I think it would have been hard for me to continue to go on. I think it would have been difficult for me to say, all right, just bring me more shame, bring me more punishment, bring me more beating. But we find here that Jesus, no matter what happened to him, he was committed to the cause that he came here to do. His Father in heaven, the Bible tells us this, that God loved mankind so much that he gave his only begotten Son. A wonderful verse that many of us, I'm sure, know by heart is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And you can put your name right there in that passage of Scripture. Whatever your name is, God loved you so very much that he gave Jesus Christ to die for our sins. You see, back in the Old Testament, we find in Genesis chapter number 3 that mankind sinned. 
God didn't create man with sin. He created man to fellowship with him and to worship him. But mankind in the Garden of Eden, they chose to sin. And the Bible says this, that from that time forward, every single human being that was born into the human race was born with a sin nature. And God could have left us there. God being a holy God and God being a righteous God and God being a God of, of uh, a truth could have said, you know what, you chose to sin and now the consequence of sin is that every man and every woman born uh, would die in, in sin and forever be separated from God. But God in his love and God in his mercy wasn't willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, the Bible tells us. In that being said, he said, I'm going to send my son a holy uh, a son, my precious lamb, I'm going to send him to the cross. And the reason Jesus Christ came to this earth was to die on the cross, to shed his blood, so that you and I could be redeemed back to a loving, merciful Father. I think upon this day and this passage of Scripture, all that Jesus had to go through so that you and I could be redeemed back to God. What a committed Savior he is. Christ could have come down from the cross at any time. But he chose to remain there until his work was finished. At any moment, he could have said, enough's enough. I'm not, I'm not enduring one more agony. I'm not enduring any more pain. But he was committed so that you and I could be redeemed back to God. What a loving Savior he is. It was love for the Father and for the work to which he had been called to do that kept him there on that cross. You see, physically, physically we could look at his situation and say the nails that were placed in his hands and the nails that were placed in his feet, that's what kept him there on the cross. But I want you to know this morning that it wasn't something physical that kept him there. It wasn't the guard, the centurion that was standing there making sure he stayed upon the cross. That's not what kept our Savior to the cross. It wasn't the nails in his hands or the nails in his feet that kept him on the cross. What kept him on the cross was his love for you in his love for me and he was committed to go through what the father had told him to it was love for those who even at that moment were mocking him would you think about that for a moment those that beat him those that placed that crown upon his head those that mocked him and lied about him it was his love for them that kept him on that cross it wasn't the nails, it was his love that kept him there. It was his love for all who had ever lived and all who ever would. He saw through the portals of time, he saw you and he saw me. He saw every man, every woman, every single person born into this world. He saw you and he went to that cross and it was his love for you that kept him there on the cross. Jesus stayed on that cross because of an unbreakable commitment to the work of redemption. And really today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but we celebrate the redemption that we have because of the cross, because of the tomb. I want you to see secondly, the Bible tells us, number one, the Bible shows us the committed Savior. He was committed. Secondly, in verse number 33, we find in when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We find as well in, in verse number 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. 
I want you to write this down as well in your notes. He's a completing Savior. He's, he's not just a committed Savior. We find in Mark chapter 15 that he's a completing Savior as well. Throughout his life and throughout his ministry, Christ often referenced time. For example, he told his mother in John 2, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 4, my hour is not yet come. He was saying to her at this point, no one knows who I am and no one knows why I have come. But in Mark chapter number 15, his hour has came. It's come now. His hour now is there that he is to die for the sins of all mankind. He lived every minute for the Father. He lived every minute the Father gave him and he died at the appointed time. I want you to know this morning that Christ coming to this earth, being born in the manger, being born of a virgin, going to the cross and dying for our sin, that was all a part of God's plan. The moment he was born was a part of God's plan. And the moment he went to the cross was a part of God's plan. Mankind didn't have anything to do with that. It was all in God's timing. God used mankind to put him on the cross, but he went there willingly because it was the Father's will for him to go to this cross. The Bible tells us this, there's an appointed time for all of us to die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. The Bible's so very clear. You and I also will have an appointed time to die. And Jesus Christ came to this world. He shed his blood upon the cross. He was placed in that tomb, and he rose again on the third day because each of us have an appointed time to die. And the Bible tells us so very clearly that we are born in trespasses and sin. And if we die in our sin, we will be forever separated from God. There's no hope. We die in our own sin. We die without a Savior. We die and we are forever separated from God. What a hopeless thought that is. But the Bible tells us that it's appointed every man to die, but Christ through his death in Christ, through his resurrection, he paid that sin debt. He offers us redemption. He offers us salvation. I think of the man Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a, a religious man. He came before Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, thou must be born again. And he didn't understand what that meant. He says, you mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, no, no, everyone is born the first time physically. The second time he's talking about is a spiritual rebirth. He said, every single person needs to be born again. And the only way for us to be born again is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Mark, the gospel of Mark here that we're looking at this morning is the shortest of the four and the pace of his writing is quick. I'm preaching quick this morning just because of time. But Mark, he wrote through the life of Christ very quickly. If you were to study, you would find that his is the shortest gospel. But when it came to his accounting of the cross, he slowed down and his accounting was so painstaking. He was so careful to, re to reference time. There were three mentions of time in chapter number 15. The first one is in Mark 15, 25, and it was the third hour he was crucified. 
In verse number 33, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The Bible says in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Mark kept time according to the Jewish, Jewish system that measured a day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So according to this system, Jesus was crucified about 9 a.m. and he died about 3 p.m. And Mark gives us the time of this. Jesus did all there was to do to secure our redemption. I want you to see this morning the completing Savior. Everything that Jesus did, it was sufficient to be the payment of our sin. There's nothing that he left out. You know, with confidence, I can say today that if I were to die and I were to stand before God this very day, that I am 100% confident for sure that I would spend eternity in heaven with him. You say, why is that? Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a completing Savior. That means this. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He went to the tomb. He rose again. There was nothing that Jesus left out. He completed it all. There's nothing more that needs to be done for us to have everlasting life. There's nothing more that you must do. You don't have to say, just in case Jesus forgot to do something, I'd better do something myself. Just in case I stand before God and he says what Jesus did isn't sufficient, I want you to know this morning that you can't add anything to your salvation. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter what you gave any offering today. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. None of those things are sufficient to get you to heaven. The only thing that is sufficient that will get you to heaven for all of eternity. The only thing that has paid for your sin debt is the work that Jesus Christ did upon the cross, the work that he did in the grave. He was resurrected from the grave. He has the power over death, and he has the power over hell, and there's nothing you need to do to add to your salvation. Well, I'm so glad about that. In the, uh, January, my wife, she's been talking about this in her house. She said, we need to get some new windows in the back. Several of the windows were painted shut by the previous owner. She couldn't open them. Others I could see through the, through the window um, sill outside. And so we needed new windows in the back of the house. And so we had several people come in and several people give us bids. And, and all of them told us how great they were. Every one of us told us how efficient they were, how great price they were. Every single company that came in told us they were the best window company in Toledo. And so we felt so good. We hired the best windows installer in Toledo. They told us so. And so this is January. The deal was you have to pay up front. So we wrote a check and paid for our windows to be installed. It was on the back of the house, so there were six or seven windows there that needed to be installed. And the window company, the best in Toledo, the best price, the best installers, the best warranty, we got the best. I looked at my wife and I said, for you, nothing but the best. <laughs> well, I shouldn't have said that. They came out, they installed our windows. Two of the windows they went to install were too big. The installer who came out and did the final measurement said, it's not my fault. I measured it right. The original guy that came out and gave us the quote that gave the measurement that put the measurements in to the company said, it's not my fault. I put the right measurements in. 
The window, window manufacturer that made the window said, it's not our fault, we just, gave, we just made what you gave us. So no, it was nobody's fault. So my wife looked at me and said, this is your fault. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble. So the company said, don't you worry, this isn't your fault. So I canceled marriage counseling and he said, this isn't your fault. It's somebody's fault. It's one of our three. But what we will do is we will expedite these windows. It's April 1st. We have two old windows still in our house. The job has not been completed. My wife looks at me each day and says, this is your fault. <laughs> and it'd be hard for me to recommend this company. You know why? Because they never completed the job. It'd be hard for me to get excited about the windows because not all of the windows have been replaced. Do you ever have someone do something for you and they never completed the job? Left you worried? Left you anxious? It left you dealing with anxiety? Oh, this morning I want you to know something. Jesus completed the task. Jesus completed the job. If you put your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross, if you believe the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't have to go through life worrying and wondering, is this going to be enough? Am I going to stand before God one day and is he going to say, sorry, you're too much of a sinner. You've done so much wrong. The blood of Jesus isn't sufficient to be the payment for your sin. Oh, Jesus died for some, but he didn't die for you. Or Jesus didn't do exactly what the Father said he needed to do. Oh, you can be assured this morning. You can rest assured today that Jesus Christ is a completing Savior. What needed to be fulfilled was fulfilled when he said, it is finished. That means this. There was nothing else that needed to be done. You can have everlasting life. You can know for sure. You can lay your head down at night knowing no matter what happens to me in the middle of the night, if I don't wake in the morning, I know that I am spending eternity with the Father because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. He's a completing Savior. And lastly, this morning, and I'm through, the Bible tells us this. He's a compelling Savior. He's a compelling Savior. To know Christ and his sacrifice is to love him. Christ changes lives, and by his grace, he leads us to become what we never would have imagined to become. I could never have imagined that I'd be a pastor of a great church like this. It's only because of Jesus. Jesus can take anyone and everyone, and he can do something great with them. The Bible tells us in verse number 39, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. I want you to see, first of all, in this passage of Scripture, this centurion. I want you to understand something about this centurion. I'm sure that this was not his first crucifixion. He was probably part of the beating. This man has probably killed. This man has placed people upon the cross. And this man is a part of putting an innocent man, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. 
he's standing there next to Jesus. He's assuring that the crowds can't come and take Jesus on the, off the cross. He is assuring that Jesus can't come off the cross. His job is to stand there and make sure that Jesus dies. This cruel death. The centurion, I'm sure, wasn't a very good man. He was part of the Roman occupation. They've come into this to Israel and they've occupied Israel and they take whatever they want to take. They treat the women there however they choose to, to treat them. They are they're, they're soldiers and, and they've come into this place to occupy this land and do whatever they want to the people of this land. I would say this is probably a hardened man. He probably doesn't look at things and comes to tears very, very easily. He's used to dealing with pain. He's used to dealing with suffering. But I want you to see at this moment when he saw Jesus, he said, truly this must be the Son of God. Thirdly, Jesus is a compelling Savior. He's a compelling Savior. Here's one that his heart was hardened, a man of sin and Jesus, Jesus still was willing to save. Mark's gospel doesn't tell us, but there's other gospels that tell us that the thief on the cross, both of them in Mark's gospel says they were uh, railing on him or mocking him or making fun of him. But in one of the other gospels, after that railing and mocking was done, the way that Jesus was there upon the cross, the way he carried himself, what he saw happening to, to nature around him, all of the events of that day, the one thief said, this must be the Son of God. And Jesus said to that thief, he was a known thief, he was a convicted thief, he was a sinner. And Jesus said to that man, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He's a compelling Savior. It doesn't matter what you've ever done in life. Jesus compels you to come to him. I also find in the same passage of Scripture, there were some women that were standing afar off. In verse number 40, there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was one that was filled with, with seven devils, and Jesus Christ saved her. And the Bible says that others that were standing there, there were others there, and they were heartbroken. They watched what Jesus had done to them. They knew that Jesus had healed them. Here's a, here's a woman that Jesus saved her out of a, just a horrific life. Here's one. She was filled with devils, and Jesus cast out those devils. She knew who the Savior was, and she was heartbroken here. No doubt, no doubt she was heartbroken. No doubt Jesus' mother, who was there as well, was heartbroken. No doubt the Bible says there was a multitude of women there, there at the cross, watching from afar. They were heartbroken. I'm so glad that Jesus, Jesus still compels those that are heartbroken to come to him. And then thirdly, there's a man, the Bible tells us of this man named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a religious man. Joseph was a man of the Sanhedrin. These were 70 member, a 70 member body that ruled the Jews. They enforced the law. These were religious men. 
They made sure that others did what the Bible, what the Old Testament said. They didn't like Jesus Christ because he was coming in and messing up the religious uh, system. He was coming in and saying that he was going to fulfill the law while they were trying to keep people to the law. Jesus was saving them from that. He was coming in to be the Messiah. They weren't looking for a man to come in and die. They were looking for the Messiah to come in and rule and reign. And so they didn't see Jesus on the cross as the Messiah. There was a man named Joseph who was a part of this. He went before Pilate and he begged for the body of Jesus. He had a grave and he put Jesus' body in this tomb, this sepulcher. You know what I see in this passage of Scripture? Jesus is a compelling Savior. It doesn't matter if you have done sin, it doesn't matter if you say, I'm so shameful of what I've done. I'm so guilty of what I've done. I don't care what you've done today. Jesus Christ is a compelling Savior, and he compels you to come to him. There's no sin that you have ever done that Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed isn't sufficient to pay for your sin debt. There's not a person here today that you can say, no, no, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the guilt that I carry. You don't know. I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ forgives you from every single one of those sins. Maybe you're here and your heart broken. Maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe people in your life that are supposed to love you hurt you and they didn't love you the way they were supposed to love you. Maybe an aunt, an uncle, a father, a mother, a grandparent. Maybe, maybe something happened to you and you've been heartbroken. I want you to know this, that Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter. Sometimes we say, boy, if you are a horrible criminal, Jesus loves you. Well, Jesus loves you if you're heartbroken as well. And thirdly, here's a religious man. This religious man, he thought he had it all figured out. He thought, if I just followed the law, if I just followed the things of the, word of, uh, of the Old Testament, that's going to be sufficient. But I want you to know today that being religious doesn't save you. You could have perfect attendance to church. You could tithe all of your money. You could be baptized and you could be sincere with it all. But my dear friend, if you're putting your faith in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sincerely wrong. The only thing that can save you is Jesus. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he's compelling you to come today. Jesus today is a compelling Savior. I want you to see with me in chapter 16, verse number 6. And he saith unto them, Be not affrightened, or be not afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. But I'm so glad it doesn't end there. He was crucified. But this verse tells us this. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. I am so glad to announce today that there's not a grave in the world that holds the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not a tomb where his body lay. You can't find one wrapped in clothing, wrapped in this linen. You could search the world over and go to every tomb. You'll not find, you'll not find the tomb that holds our Savior. He is risen, and because he is risen, he has conquered death. And because he's conquered death, he can give you eternal life. He compels you to come. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Re Revelation 118. 
I am he that liveth and, is, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Listen, on this resurrection morning, as we gather here today and we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I am so glad today that we find that Jesus Christ, he is, he is not just completing, he is, he is also committed, he's not just committed, he is, also, he is also compelling you, compelling you to come. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust him today? I don't care if you were the hard, most hardened criminal on the face of the earth, Jesus loves you. He died for you. I don't care if you're here today and you're heartbroken and you're saying those that are supposed to love me, they've not loved me. Those that were supposed to care for me, they've hurt me. I want you to know that Jesus said he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He'll never hurt you. He'll never leave you. He loves you. Would you come to him today? And he loves the religious. If you're putting your faith and trust in something other than Jesus. Oh, he's compelling you today to trust him.